0: Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today we dive into one of the worst losses in the history of the Tario Football Program. There's really no other way to talk about it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't even really know where to start with this one. Uh, this is one that should have been a relatively easy win for Carolina. Uh, They went on the road, looked unprepared, and got beat by a team that got beat by Northern Illinois earlier in the year, who followed up that win by getting beat by 53 by Michigan, who almost lost to Rutgers the other night. Um, There's a lot of issues that have to get laid out here. The direction of the program is in question, and I think that that's what we've got to dive into today. Um, I mean, look, it's I, – I don't – I really don't know how you get worse than this in terms of a loss for Carolina. Um, this is not a good Georgia Tech team. Uh, they're not going to be good. Uh, this is a team that's probably going to finish either close to the bottom or at the bottom of the ACC Coastal this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know – how you lose a game like this As a team that's trying to Make themselves into a college football Playoff contender Or even a team that can consistently make The ACC championship game Year in and year out um, It's, I, I mean It's about as disappointing of a loss as it gets And I I, I just there's, there's not really many ways that you can explain it No, there's not
1: Um I think the best way I summed it up on Twitter was it was disappointing, um, infuriating. Um, it was a fireball offense of a loss. Not meaning towards Mac Brown, but any other program that you're trying to emulate, whether, even if it's like Oregon, let's just say on the lesser scale of college football playoff contenders, someone's getting fired after that type of performance. Um, and I think that's something that, I think the there's a lack of accountability within this program that is allowing this thing to happen over and over and over again. Um, Saturday was very disappointing in so many different ways, um, especially after you scored on your, I believe, your second drive of the game or third drive of the game. Um, you, you felt like you had settled into the game and you were going to take control. That didn't happen. You let a young inexperienced team gained some confidence they fed off of the crowd that was in the stadium which wasn't a lot um, but they fed off with that energy you let them believe in the ability to beat you and once they punched you in the mouth you didn't have the guts to respond and that's something that um, shouldn't happen when you were a preseason top 10 team when you've got a quarterback like Sam Howell you've got four star players On your offense, you've got some great talent on that defense, Um, but this this isn't a player in a in a. It's not just a player issue. It's not a coaching issue. It's a culture issue, and I think what we got to get back to is that when we hired Mac Brown, you hired Mac Brown to restore order against your rivals, and he's done that. He's got he, – the only in-state losses are to Wake Forest and App State. Um, he hasn't lost to Duke, and he hasn't lost to NC State. Um, but you also hired him to lo- to quit losing these types of games that has plagued the program since he left the first time he was here, whether it was under Butch, whether – even under the great years under Larry. Um, these were games that Carolina should have won that they lost. You hired Mac Brown because you thought that wouldn't happen. And it's happened three straight years. I think the first year you give it you, – you, you deal with it because it was his first year built, setting the foundation, trying to build the program. Last year I think we overlooked those losses to at Virginia, at Florida State because we got to the Orange Bowl. But as I mentioned all offseason, we lost the Orange Bowl. And then you get into this year and you lose another game like that Again, So when things happen for consecutive years, it's a pattern. It's a pattern of losing games that they shouldn't be losing. And we're talking about this is a mediocre, middle-of-the-road football program in in our lifetime. But they lose these type of games that makes it hard to elevate yourself to the next level. And I, I think the hardest question and the hardest answer to find is how do you fix it? Because... If Mac Brown can't get Carolina to the mountaintop of where this program can get to, what other coach in college football that can, that would realistic, realistically coach here get you there? And I think that's the thing where I think we all got to look ourselves in the mirror as fans. The coaches got to look themselves in the mirror and the players got look themselves in the mirror and say, where do we go from here?
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, do I think this is the end-all, be-all of the program? No. Um, I think that you still got a lot of really good momentum on the recruiting trail and everything like that. But at some point, you've got to start seeing this pay off. And maybe it is too early. Maybe this is an overreaction. But I don't feel like even a team that's building towards something should lose games like this. No. I told you earlier, you, know, you look at a team like Clemson, if that's what you're trying to emulate and eventually become – Clemson never lost a game like this
1: ever. I think when they Clem- were building. I that think Clemson never happened. Not
0: a fair comparison.
1: That's why I went Oregon. Look at Oregon as they've been rebuilding under Cristobal. Right. Would they lose the, this type of game? No. Well, and if they, they're
0: also different. And, and if, if they, that's they did, a, that's a different scenario. Someone now. get fired. I would say if you go back, see, and we don't know because we were too young at the time to really know them game in and game out. I wonder if you go back to the pre-Chip Kelly days, early Chip Kelly days, I don't ever remember a loss like this. I, I, I just, I know it's not the end of the world, but this is a game where it was just so obvious that you were not prepared. And even though you still had a major talent edge, it still wasn't enough. You've got to bring it every single week if you are the coaches and if you are the players. And and they did not do that the other night. And at this point, I mean, look, you could say whatever you want about the players. I know there were some guys that did not play well the other night. We'll talk a little bit about it here as the show goes on. But at this point, it's really the coaches are the ones that need to step up and take accountability for this because – this is a yet another road game, and look, there's no way that you are actually going to sit here and say if you're the coaching staff, and they haven't to their credit, but there's no way you're making the excuse that this was a tough environment. It shouldn't, not no. even close. This environment was weak. Um, you should have. Th- th- there was no. There were. There wasn't enough noise in that building to even wake up Kanye, who was sleeping mm-hmm. in inside the stadium. Uh, I it's something that you've got you you got to be able to figure out sooner rather than later, or else it's it's hard to really believe that this is going to be a program that is going to live up to an on the rise billing.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, and I don't think I am.
0: Well, you're wrong rather often. Um, but go on.
1: You know, Mac Brown stressed after the win over Virginia, leading up into the game against Georgia Tech, and then, of course, he admitted it post the the loss Saturday night, about handling success. And the track record shows that when they win a big game at home and they go on the road, it doesn't translate. Isn't that your job? When you've got the program designed the way you have it, or you're a CEO, you monitor what everything is going on. You're not involved in the offensive game plan or the defensive game plan. You're there to monitor your team yep. and coach your team. That's your that's your fault, in my opinion. I, I mean, and, and I need him to lying. sit up there and and own it. And it's not, oh, I need to grow up and do better. No, you need to coach better. You need to be need to be more demanding. There was no emotion from him the other night, and maybe that's how he is when he's handling losses. I don't know, but something's got to give where there's got to be some accountability from him where it is, I have failed. Not we, I. It's your program. You failed.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, I mean, everything that people said about him at Texas is is, is starting to show up as, as, as reality. And isn't and that's, that... That's a real issue. And isn't
1: that the whole... His whole selling point, and look, it's going to sound like I want to fire Mac Brown. I don't want to fire Mac Brown. I want Mac Brown to. No, no, you can't. It's not getting better. I said it today. I want some accountability it. and then from adjustments from him. But wasn't his whole selling point when he got hired at the press conference? We go back, and we all felt great. I spent the last six years interviewing coaches, learning the new the new era of how to coach football in this climate. So now I'm more equipped to handle these type of situations. That hasn't that hasn't translated to the level that we probably expect it to be this year, but it's like it's why I stressed all-off season that, look, you made the Orange Bowl last year, but a lot of factors led into you making the Orange Bowl. A lot of factors. Notre Dame being in the ACC factored into you making the college football or making a New Year's Six Bowl game. And, and so I think that's the thing is that those same losses that got him fired at Texas, they're now translated into Carolina and there's no adjustments.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the staff, I think, also has to own, not just him. I think the staff has to own it as well. I, I think, honestly, uh, there are a lot of people that want people fired, uh, there, today as we there, sit here. There are people that should be fired. And I, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. People were calling for coaching changes. I saw many people uh, that wanted Jay Bateman fired. I saw many people that wanted Phil Longo fired. <laughs> I saw many people that wanted pretty much every coach on the <laughs> staff fired. I saw people that wanted me fired, and I don't even work on the staff. But I think the biggest thing is: is are there coaching changes that need to be made in season? And if so, which ones are they because I know for me and it's nothing personal there's one that is very very obvious to me that needs to be made at this point and you cannot really I don't know if you can wait at this point with what we've seen
1: Stacey Searles should have not even gotten on the airplane he should have gotten the Lane Kiffman the Lane Kiffin treatment here are your papers find your way back to Chapel Hill your house will be packed and you will be gone The offensive line isn't the only issue with this football team, but that was the one thing we looked back – we looked at coming into this offense outside of Sam Howell that we were like, we know that unit's going to produce. They're going to play well because you're
0: returning all five starters. We we thought at least they were going to be
1: solid. Right. Right? And they're not. And that's – to me – it you know look players got to perform players playing coaches coach but i don't think they're being coached to the level where they they they're getting the most out of the talent and, look, I know you've got limitations with Brian Anderson and Kieran Johnson at your center position, regardless of who's starting, but you can turn the film on and say that Kieran Johnson's been a better player than Brian Anderson through the first three
0: games. He should get the snaps. Nah, it's not even close, honestly. Uh, I mean, the last two games, and this is what I don't get from Stacey Searles and and why we need answers. And he, I mean, he's not a guy that's going to get up there and talk during the season because position coaches don't. He, I, you need to – Answer the question of why you went back to Brian Anderson, Joshua Zudu, and Jordan Tucker. I didn't like I said, I didn't have a problem with going back to Joshua Zudu. Right, he's, he's your, your best, best offensive op- lineman. I think that's even even you could have even made the case maybe for Jordan Tucker. But to me, I told you what I would have rolled out there the other day. You you went completely away from the guys that worked for you the other night against Virginia, and you went to the lineup that had you knew had been struggling for you for the majority of the season and stuck with them for the majority of the night. This wasn't even you went to them, realized that these guys are having a tough time, let's try to rotate other guys in. No, they just stuck with it. You've got to start rotating guys in. This, and I, I, I just – Doesn't
1: at this, this point, feel like the, like the defense from last year where you know you're younger – with the depth behind it, but there's more just natural given
0: talent, and you at least stick them out there, and Here, you and you live with the results. Here's the difference with that last year, though, to the to the defense of the guys on the defensive side of the ball last year with their position groups. You have to remember that last year was a COVID year, so these guys, most of the young, especially the true freshmen, they were literally learning on the fly. They had never, they had what. Three weeks of fall camp. There was no spring. A lot of guys were undersized. This is a completely different scenario. This is one of those scenarios where we look at the way Ed Montillis has been playing. We look at the way Kieran Johnson has been playing. We saw some good things from William Barnes. And right. we're saying to ourselves, we are just getting destroyed up front. Why are we not making these changes? You wait until the second half and late in the third quarter. To make the changes. The game and was already Phil Longo over. said this in his press conference early last week when talking about why they made the moves and how they go, you know, go forward there. I think it was Ross Martin who asked the question of how do you go forward with the guys that performed well in this game? How do you make those tough decisions moving forward? And he says, look, this is up to the position, Coach. This is up to Stacey Searles. Well, I'm going to tell you, you made the wrong decision. Yes. I'm sorry. I, as to, somebody that's at home,
1: that hasn't,
0: that hasn't coached, I saw a lot more from the guys that we played a week ago against Virginia. And look, even if the talent levels aren't even, it's a want-to. The guys that are starting up there right now, I don't see a want-to in some of these guys. You've done some good things for me, Brian Anderson. I think right now, Kieron Johnson is the better option at center. Maybe that's because you're still banged up. I don't know. But in order to win football games, you need to be able to get the job done. And the most frustrating thing about all of this, I think when you just look big picture with all this stuff, is that just, what, 20 minutes before your game started, the ACC door literally opened wide up for you. And you didn't take advantage of it it's at not
1: all. It's not even the ACC. You look at the landscape of the country. Outside of Bama and outside of Georgia, okay, You know, Clemson's down. Ohio State has issues. Oklahoma has issues. Notre Dame's undefeated, but they're about as unshaky a 4-0 team as you're going to find in the country. Like, this was everything that you wanted to break your way to announce that you're your you're a legitimate college football program has happened and all you've done is squander opportunities at a Virginia Tech team that since that win over you has looked pedestrian. Um, they beat Richmond by 11 at home. Um, and you lose to a Georgia Tech team that looked great win for Jeff Collins. No coach in the country deserved a better win than that guy. What The job he's doing there, no one would have taken that job with, with the rebuild he's having to go under. Hey, they had to come against us, but that's, that's a game that Carolina shouldn't lose for at least another two to three years, till he's got a roster full of his guys, and only do you not only do you lose, losing. Look, I'm not gonna sit here and say losing is okay because losing's not. But you got blown out, you got manhandled, you got embarrassed, you got boat raced by a team that's probably gonna finish either last or second to last in your division. That's inexcusable.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, look, one of the other guys that has a lot to, to answer when it comes to this game is Jay Bateman. I'm going to be honest with you. The comments that came out about him from Jeremiah Gimmel, those are fireable comments yes. for a guy that was unprepared for a game with an element of an offense that has killed you since you've been at Carolina. And, look, it's killed a lot of defensive coordinators before – him at Carolina and really throughout the country but to not be prepared for a guy that started every game for them last year and you knew was going to be available in this game is just I don't I don't understand how that's even possible you knew that he was going to be an option in this game Jordan Yates look not as mobile as him. Not going to say that at all. Definitely a guy that, when he would be at his best, would win from the pocket. Mm-hmm. The fact that you didn't even remotely prepare for Jeff Sims, who is in most people's minds, their most talented quarterback, is just head scratching to me. And honestly, I think at the least, it's he's on the hot seat. He's got a lot of explaining to do with that, and I think that his defense really needs to perform well throughout the rest of the season, or else there, there there could be a chance that he gets fired at season's end.
1: I have posed this question since he got to Chapel Hill in 19 with the defense, when the defense looked shaky in games that they shouldn't have looked shaky in. Um, the Virginia game that year and some other games – First year, Jay Bateman. Last year, Jay Bateman. You had the issues against, you know, Virginia Tech, Florida State, Virginia, Wake Forest, and even this year, um, with the with the games against with the game against um, Virginia last week. Did the style of offense that he that his team played when he was a defensive coordinator at Army, make his defense look better because they possessed the football, they were on the field for about half the snaps were on the field for now. And I'm convinced that answer is yes. Because – and look, I, I think he's – he in moments has made great adjustments. You look at the Virginia game a week ago, he made the right adjustments. Carolina wins the ball game. That didn't happen on Saturday against Georgia Tech. And so I think it's just something where it's – this defense can work. But I think it's got to work in the right situation where you're not on the field as much as Carolina's defense is going to be on the field because of the explosive, the amount of explosive plays this office can can produce and score the football with anybody in the country. But to have a player come out and say we did not prepare for an element of. That team that you know, is that's their best quality is to put Sims in the game and use his legs and everything like that. That cannot – that should never happen ever.
0: Yeah. Ever, I, I mean, you're right. I, 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 that's something you should always be prepared for. Um, no doubt about it. That's and, something you got to be prepared for. And right out of the if game. you want to give him a pass, the dude showed up
1: in the first half. It wasn't like they went to it like in the third or fourth quarter, and the wheels were falling off. And you, and there just wasn't enough time. You had a whole halftime to make adjustments. And it you looked did. worse. Yeah. And you looked did.
0: worse after the half um, stopping them.
1: And I know people are gonna probably get mad because Mac Brown went for it on that fourth and one early in the second half, and oh, you put your defense in a bad spot. But that 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 was as much as I just got done complaining about Mac Brown, I loved every bit of that call because that was nut up. Make a freaking play, because if we
0: can't gain a yard, we don't deserve to win this damn game anyway. Well, they weren't winning the that. That was when you knew the game was over. So I mean, Mac Brown said it. You had three chances to get a yard. You couldn't do it. Didn't even get close. They, no, you lost yardage. So, so th- I mean that, and that shows you. And that's that's where again, the offensive line's got to take a lot of blame. Eight sacks. They've allowed 14 in their two road games. That's unprecedented. That's unheard of. To a, I mean, to a team, a Georgia Tech may legitimately not have eight sacks the rest of the season combined, and I'm talking about the games they've already played. And it wasn't like they were scheming pressure.
1: Their whole game plan going into it was, you're going to have to beat us.
0: Nah, their big man Brooks up front was just was just beating them. Yeah. That, that looked that. You know what that game, what what that reminded me of with the defensive tackle like that. The game two years ago against Virginia Tech where Gerard Hewitt in the middle of that defense just went off and Carolina had no answers to stop him. It. Like, had it, Georgia Tech,
1: you know, did cover zero and they were blitzing and all that stuff – Probably wouldn't be
0: on here freaking out. They dropped eight in the coverage, and you still couldn't block them. Yeah, so we, we, we went from Bateman back to the offensive line. It just shows you how how complete a, of a letdown this was at times from Carolina. And, and I mean, Mac Brown put it perfectly. This team has not played good at the same time all season. You know, you saw uh, defensively in the first half. Carolina didn't play bad. Um Their defense gave them a chance to still be in the ballgame. Their offense didn't do what they needed to in the first half. In the second half, you see some signs of life from the offense, and what ends up happening defensively? You fall apart. Carolina's got to find a way to put it all together. We'll be back to the Heel Tough Blog podcast after this message from DraftKings. Hey guys, Anthony here to tell you about our sponsor, DraftKings. As part of the Pigskin Podcast Network, we are three weeks into the season. Now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbooks, the official betting partner of the NFL. To kick off another exciting week this week as we head into week four, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Doesn't matter if sportsbooks are not yet available in your state, DraftKings still has huge prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code T-P-P-N and receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code T-P-P-N. This week at DraftKings Sportsbooks, an official betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. That's 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Let's take a look at the box score for this game. On the Carolina side of things, Sam Howell, 25 of 39, 306 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, Did run for uh, eight yards on 16 carries, one touchdown, but he fumbled the ball three times in this game, which ultimately was the big difference. Uh, That's one of the main issues for him uh, is turnovers, and we'll talk about those here in a minute for him. Uh, On the ground, Carolina's leading rusher, Ty Chandler, 17 carries carries 48 yards just 2.8 yards per carry this is very similar for me to the Georgia State game not really that much to me I didn't feel like there was a lot on him the this this may have been worse than Virginia Tech in terms of blocking in the run game.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to be nitpicky and we don't have the All-22 film from the camera angle that we get at at home, um, there were a couple of times where it's like, man, he might have hit the wrong hole, but we're not seeing the whole field. It didn't matter. Um, He had nowhere to go. And and so it didn't matter if he went to the other way. He was probably going to get a minimal game because Carolina wasn't getting up to the second level. They weren't creating holes deeper down the field for him to attack, unlike they did last week. It was just... That was, I think, was the most mind-blowing thing, was they did whatever they wanted to do against Virginia a week ago. They pushed them around, moved them wherever they wanted to go to. They couldn't do the same thing against Georgia Tech. you got to give the Yellow Jackets a lot of credit. Um, They tried running Sam Howell to help open up the running game, and in the first quarter it worked. But once Georgia Tech made the adjustments, Carolina did not adjust to their adjustments, and the running game was nil and void in the middle of the second quarter.
0: Yeah, and you didn't see a lot of uh, of the backups in this game. DJ Jones just two carries for seven yards. He, of course, you know, banged up. He was didn't play in the last two games. Uh, there are some rumors. This is something that I was told by somebody else that. Caleb Hood um, was banged up in this game as well. That's a big reason why he didn't play a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And that hurt Carolina for sure because he was the power runner. He did a lot of really good things a week ago, and that's something that this offense is lacking at the moment. And they need that element to sort of come back here as soon as they possibly can. You know, receiving-wise, you know, as we look back at the box score, pretty solid night uh, overall. I think that's the one area that if you're trying to find something positive to take away from it, that's probably the area you go. Josh Downs, eight catches yet again. That's four straight games to begin the season with eight catches for him, 53 yards and a touchdown. I got to give Carolina credit there and Phil Longo credit there. Uh, I definitely think that there was a concerted effort to try to get him the football even though it was clear that Georgia Tech was going to try to take him away. Um, it didn't. He didn't have, you know, as much success after the catch, but I think that's something that you could, you know, sort of live with. Uh, Kamari Morales, seven catches, 66 yards and a touchdown. Good stuff from him. Same thing with Emery Simmons, three catches, 110 yards on five targets. Antone Green, two catches, 50 yards. So there were some positive things here uh, for Carolina, and I definitely think that that's something that, you know, if that's the area, If you're looking for some positivity, that's the one that you really need to focus on. Defensive side of the ball, leading tackler Jeremiah Gimmel, eight tackles, half a tackle for loss. Don Chapman with seven and half a tackle for loss. Cedric Gray, another solid game in the stat category with six uh, tackles uh, overall and six tackles for loss. Carolina, after having some success last week, not that much success getting pressure on the quarterback at any point really in this game. Miles Murphy uh, was the guy that really shined four total tackles. Uh, One tackle for loss and one sack. He was one of the guys that also impressed me, though. I liked what I saw from him definitely early on uh, as well. Go over to the Georgia Tech side of things. Jeff Sims, 10 of 13, 112 yards and a touchdown. Nothing mind-blowing there. Uh, Jordan Yates, before him, 3 of 6 for 21 yards. Uh, Leading receiver for them, Malachi Carter, three catches, 48 yards and a touchdown. But on the ground, that's where they got Carolina. Wasn't even, uh, you know, again, this – This is something, they ran for 261 yards, which is not good, but it's also not terrible. Um, But when you have Jeff Sims, who has 10 carries for 128 yards and three touchdowns, it's really hard to win games like that. Uh, and, And Jameer Gibbs on the ground, 13 carries, 64 yards. I think the main thing with the running game for them was that it wasn't great all night. But Carolina could not get stops against them when they needed to. They had three huge third-down conversions in that second half, and that was really the difference in the game for Carolina.
1: Yeah, um, and I think that was – Something that you knew Georgia Tech wanted to get the offense into that situation where it was third and manageable, um, and when you're trying to make a comeback, I don't care if it's third and one, third and two, hell if it's third and three, you gotta find a way to get off the football field. It, you know the yards, 261 know, ones a lot on 43 carries because that rounds out to a 6.1 yard per average. But I think it was more of the timely runs that they had when they, when you knew they were going to run the football because they, that's that's their mo. They weren't going to throw it, and you still couldn't stop it. Um, that's the most uh, disheartening thing in football is when a team is going to line up and run the ball down your throat because they know you can't stop it. Carolina's been on the short end of that stick for the last half decade or, or, or longer. It, it does feel like going back to the Larry Fedora days. Um, on the Carolina side of things, was nice to see getting other guys involved in the passing game. Kamari Morales has really emerged as a go-to target at, from the tight end position. Emory Simmons got target he made some catches, so now his dad can stop complaining about that on Twitter. Um, and mainly he can get some confidence in himself when Sam Howell does try to throw him the football but I think it came back to the fact that Georgia Tech, even though they allowed eight catches to Josh Downs, he was targeted 14 times. So they still took him away in a a, a capacity that no one has taken taken him away so far to start the year. So that's something that Carolina's got to continue to work on. He's got to get the football, but it's got to be at the right time in the right situation instead of just forcing the football his way um, as much as possible. But all in all, it was a completely underwhelming performance on the offense and the defensive sides for Carolina.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Um, we're not going to really look at that much more of the of the box scores here. Uh, I think we're we're pretty good on that uh, at this point. Uh, let, let's talk about some of the storylines that we haven't talked about already. I think <laughs> Did the we just op- yell
1: some more? I think
0: the offensive line. We're just kind of going to leave that out there. I think one of the more interesting things now that you've got to start to talk about with this team is, uh, you know, this is another tough game for Sam Howell. Are, are, are we going to see Sam Howell back next year? Because I, at this point, I'm starting to feel like that's probably the direction that it's going to end up going, because I think his draft stock right now is just taking a huge hit. And, and to be honest with you, and it really stinks, it's not all his fault, because his offensive line and his receivers haven't done him any favors at times. But I think you're seeing a guy that is definitely panicking. You're seeing some things that surface with them a little bit at the high school level. I think they're correctable, but you just wonder at this point: is this a guy that you're looking at and saying to yourself, he could be back for a senior year in Chapel Hill?
1: I, I think that conversation is is possible, um, just because you look at his his issues. It's holding on to the football way too longly. That that clock in his head that. On college is a second, two seconds longer in the NFL, um, he still doesn't have it. He, he's not timely with getting rid of the football, and a lot of that's because he's got an arm and he believes he, if he can make a throw, he can make a throw, and that's a great thing to have because we've seen him for three years make throws that not a lot of quarterbacks in college football can make, but when you don't have two 1,000-yard receivers on your offense, you don't have two 1,000-yard rushers in your backfield, you're starting to see the limitations that Sam Howell has right now. Now, as you said – are they correctable? Absolutely. There's nothing you look in Sam Howell's game and says you can't fix that. Everything that is wrong with his game is fixable. It's about him taking the time in the film study, the coaching staff to, to try to correct it. Does he got to get help from his teammates? Absolutely. But he's also, if you want to be an elite quarterback, you have to elevate those around you. you got to elevate your game to the next level. He, this His whole game's been off. and now, like He was great against Virginia last week. He was great against Georgia State. But you could just tell that the the, the Virginia Tech game has rattled his confidence a little bit. He'll, even if he won't admit to it, the timing of the offense has still been off at times. It was very evident in the first half. So I think it is something that Carolina's got to look at, because or he's got to look at. This was a guy that was a bona fide top two quarterback in the country. Now granted, Spencer Rattler Oklahoma has looked a whole lot better. I think we can all agree Matt Corral's the best quarterback in the sport. As of this moment, he looked like a bonafide top ten. I'm going to uh, say this.
0: At least Sam ain't being booed by his own fans and uh, they're yet. calling for the backup.
1: I um, mean. You know, he was supposed to be a bonafide top ten pick. Who knows where that is right now. But I do think as of today there is a greater chance than probably
0: ever before that Sam Howell would be back for a senior year than we would have thought after that freshman season. I mean, honestly, we, we thought coming into this year there was absolutely no way. We, yeah. we, I mean, he looked like a guy that was a surefire first-round pick. And look, he could end up being a first-round pick uh, in, a, in a multitude of different ways. Uh, there's still plenty of chance that he turns this around this season and has, you know, ends up putting up ridiculous numbers, looking like the Sam Howe that we're used to for the rest of the year. That's definitely possible, and I think that that's something that most Tariel fans are hoping for and are going to look forward and, and think that that's what's going to happen. The other thing is that this draft, this quarterback draft, is going to be unbelievably terrible. This may be worse than EJ Manuel's draft. I mean, this is going—you are basically now going to rely on Carson Strong as your best prospect, and that's pretty much it. Because He's I'm going to be honest, candidate
1: to be the first pick. I'm going to be
0: honest. I think Spencer Rattler is one of the most overrated quarterbacks I've ever seen in my entire life. I, the amount of hype that he got. And now, I think that the fact that they are undefeated, there, there's a, legi- there, they legitimately could be two and two, one and three. Yeah, that could. He's not a. He's not. He has very similar issues to Sam Howell, where both guys just try to do a little bit too much at times, and that's that's one of the flaws. And to, to a certain extent. That's something you like in your quarterback because you like a guy that wants to put the team on his shoulders. But you need to get to a point where your quarterback realizes, in this case Sam Howell, realizes that, look, you can't do it all by yourself. There are times where you've just got to sort of concede it. And and this is the thing. The other night people were saying, well, why is he holding on to the ball so long? I thought it was very evident once he fumbled the first time. I think there was hesitancy from him to take off because he thought this could happen to me again. Because I'm trying to remember, is that the first fumble that he's had in his career that was pretty much caused just by himself? I don't remember another one like that. You I, had the one against Georgia State where Ty Chandler runs into him and he yeah. fumbles, but he got help on that one. So I wonder if that sort of you know shook him up just a little bit. I, I, I think that... Those are scenarios where he hasn't really been faced with with those types of problems yet in his career. And, man, I I, I mean, I I see someone here, uh, Connie Conway, who's been commenting a a lot. We appreciate you, Connie. She says, as far as Sam, he can't do it by himself. I understand that. I get that. But there are some things that he's got to be able to do a little bit better on his part.
1: And, look, guys, that's part of playing quarterback. When everything's looking great, like it it has for two and a half years at times, Sam Howell's going to get all the praise. But when things aren't going great, and Sam Howell could be a direct reflection of why that is going sideways at Virginia Tech, at Georgia Tech just the other night, he's going to get criticized. Um, that's our job. That's part of wanting to be a big-time football player with the expectation he wants. It's not going to get any easier when he goes to the NFL. Right. So it's just something that if there's a quarterback that – can make the adjustments that is going to put in the time and the effort to make the adjustments, we all believe it's Sam Howell. Yeah, we just spent
0: how many minutes talking about some of the things that we're a little concerned about. I'm gonna be honest with you. I really think that that's the guy that I am probably the least worried about right now in terms of things that need to get fixed yeah the offensive line to me is so much bigger of a concern I I just I don't think that this is something that if you're a Toriel fan you should be saying well man we, we should be concerned about whether or not Sam Howell is actually going to be able to carry this program that thought should never enter your mind he has done it from the minute that he's gotten on campus he has had games like this and he's made adjustments I think what we're trying to say is that this is a guy that I think we didn't we, we, the first two years on campus, we saw a lot of really good things from a lot of really good traits that said that made us say he's an NFL quarterback. That's still true. I think now what we're learning is he's a guy that will be in the, that, that is an NFL quarterback, but wherever he lands, he's got to have help around him. This is not a once in a generation quarterback. I, I don't I hate to say that. and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he ends up turning out to be that guy. But I think that this is a guy that needs some things around him when he gets to the next level. And guess what? That's okay. That's almost every quarterback in the NFL. There are very few guys that you look at in the NFL and say, you can put literally any cast around them, any offensive line, whatever, and they are going to be great. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's probably Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and I don't know how many other ones you could put in that category. I think everybody else has help. And that's why I think you should still be very encouraged about him. There are still a lot of things to like about his game. My thing was, you look at uh, Matt Hasselback broke it down. Uh, two plays, back-to-back plays in the, was it the fourth quarter? The two long plays, the post routes to Anton Green that he, that missed. he missed. Yep, Comes right back after missing those throws and hits... A throw that most guys are not going to make to Emory Simmons. That was a picture-perfect throw. If you're trying to compare him to Mitch Trubisky, Mitch Trubisky doesn't make that throw. No. I'm sorry to tell you. If you're thinking that that's what he's becoming, you need to stop watching football and pick a different sport because this ain't the right sport for you. So I, I don't. That's that's the one area I'm not that concerned about. That's really – I mean, that's what I got on here. We've, we've kind of talked through all the other stuff. I think now, you know, let's circle back, talk about the program as a whole. With the – in terms of – I mean, I talked a little bit earlier about some of the coaching changes. I, I've already said that I think that Stacey Searles at this point is going to be hard-pressed probably to keep his job. Uh, because the offensive line has taken such a severe step back, there's also a recruiting element that goes into that where that's one area where they there, there have been people that have said guys like Zach Rice don't have the greatest relationship with him. That's really the one thing that's holding him back from committing to Carolina is the fact that the relationship with the Virginia offensive line coach is much better than the one that he has with Stacey Searles. I think that's the area where most people want change, and at this point I think it's probably warranted. Um, I think Jay Bateman's a guy that's probably on a pretty hot seat right now, and I think that is justified. My concern with letting him go is that you are recruiting guys that fit his defensive scheme. There's no guarantee that those guys will fit whatever defensive scheme you're bringing in next, although this is his scheme is one that's you're sort of starting to see more and more throughout college football, and that is sort of – evolving into the NFL level as well um, and, and and I think that you know the, other than that I, I don't think there's much else to take away from I, I don't know about you just really quickly on on this topic that somebody sent me there were people that wanted Phil Longo fired I'm gonna be honest I did not have much issue with his game plan the other night I just to be to me the people that are criticizing his game plan what else could he have done yeah. He tried running the ball. He tried throwing the ball. He tried, you know, putting different running backs in there to protect his quarterback. He tried bootlegs. <laughs> Nothing was working the other night, and I think he did the best he could.
1: Yeah, he got handicapped. He got handicapped by his offensive line. Um, you look around the country. You look at the issues that Clemson has and other premier programs. You can have a great quarterback that Carolina has. You can have great talent at the wide receiver position. Carolina has that. You can have great running back talent. You can't block. None of that matters. And I think that's been the biggest issue mm-hmm. when Carolina's offensive line shows up. Oh, this offense, can of course, can score 60. When they don't show up, as it is in the case in the his- since uh, for the history of football, you can't do anything offensively if you don't block the, 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 the defense. And so, was I critical of his game plan at, at at certain times? Sure, but I also thought that's every game. Though. That's every game because I mean, I've seriously. had my issues with him. But I also thought, looking back at it, there was nothing else he could have done with what he was given, with the 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 delay in making the adjustments that they made in the second half, bringing in the guys that worked against Virginia in that offensive line. Um, so I don't want him fired because I think when when they block. His offense is really great. Um, Jay Bateman, gotta have that discussion. You gotta have the discussion about Tim Cross because that defensive line has not been as great as we thought it was going to be with the uh, with the added depth and stuff like that up front. Carolina's just got a lot of questions, and the best way to answer all those questions is to freaking win.
0: Yeah, Just I, win. I mean, seriously, that's that's the best way to take care of him. I, I'm not exactly there with you on cross yet because I think that the majority of his talent is still young. I think once you see this group building, and that's that's part of the issue here is that you don't want to feel like you're, and this is where we can get into the questions of the direction of the program because I think right now, here's the thing, is the program trending down? No. No is the program still trending up, is the better question. That's why. That's where the questions of the direction come in. I think people automatically assume when we ask that question, well, does that mean that you guys are saying the program's trending back down? No, the program will be trending back down if they lose this week to Duke. Then we can start having that conversation of, wow, is this a potential snowball effect? I don't think that's what's gonna happen. I think right now, though, the question that I have ultimately is, are we too far ahead of schedule? Did we get too far ahead of ourselves with the expectations? And now it's starting to sort of come to roost that, hey, this was great. You guys built yourself up very quickly, but you were a little too far ahead of schedule.
1: I think think that's an easy answer. The answer is yes. Um, I think I stressed that all summer that you – you want to believe and trust in them, but they haven't given you any indication to believe and trust in them. Um, you know they, they're getting roasted by national media as the most fraudulent team in in the sport, and somehow Mac Brown's being blamed for that. But all summer, Mac Brown
0: said that he didn't think Carolina was a top ten team, and they hadn't arrived, and they got that it. makes no sense to me. The media is calling a team a fraud after. Putting them inside the top ten consistently throughout the preseason. Look, you bought all the hype. I don't really know what to tell you. We did as well. Do we feel? Do we feel? I kinda, did not. Do we feel kind of stupid? Yes, but I, I, it's part of it. I, I just—if you bought into the hype, you cannot be one of those people now that's turning around and saying, "Well, we should have known this." Well, you bought into it. The guy that wrote the article—and look—I don't think that anything Dan Wolkin said was honestly wrong I can't stand Dan Walken, to be honest I don't like anything about him I haven't liked him since I got on social media but he's not 100% wrong with what he says about the fact that there have been multiple times in program history where Carolina has felt like they were on the rise and couldn't get the job done which brings back
1: to it's a culture issue it's not a coaching issue because it's happened under Mac Brown 1.0 What's happening under Mac Brown 2.0? Butch Davis got you to a point. Well, Matt,
0: look, Mac Brown 1.0 at this point would be something that you should strive to get to. Even getting to that point would be in in what the current system that we're in for college football, and with where the program's expectations were believed to be at. Look, people that thought that this was going to be the next Clemson or Alabama, I, I don't I don't know what to tell you. I told you back in the, the offseason that you were crazy. That's way too high of a bar to set for this program. But to become that team that's in that next tier that can maybe crack the playoff every so often, I didn't think that that was crazy. And I feel like that's a point that Carolina's program has set as a bar and has wanted to get to. And I feel like Mac Brown's first time around – he was pretty close. That's as close as you've gotten. I mean, there were times back in the 80s where you probably got a little bit closer. Um, maybe even back in the 70s, you got you got pretty close as well under Bill Dooley. But I, that felt like the closest that you got. That's the point that you want to get to right now get there first then let's worry about taking that next step to become that consistently as a program through multiple coaches
1: i think the problem is is that this is already year three if you're looking at it from an all aspect thing, you're probably realistically you're still probably thinking to yourself now: We're two years away. Is Mac Brown going to be around to see the program get back to where he got hired to
0: get to today? I don't know if that's. A, I don't know if that answers yes. See, that's the problem that I think is is the most concerning, and is why we are mad and disappointed and, and and wanting something to happen as quickly as possible because we know that the time is limited for Mac Brown this time around. It, 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 people would say, well look at how long it took him to build it up the first time. Do we honestly believe in our minds? And maybe he does. Maybe he does. I don't think that there is a lack of energy for Mac Brown. I I I don't see that from him yet. If they, if it was you would see a guy that didn't want to do press conferences, that's just kind of walking through the motions, that's not trying to go and recruit. That's not what Mac Brown's doing. But the concern is how long do you honestly have? Because we, we don't know. We, we don't know anything because we thought Roy Williams still had more time and in his mind we didn't know that he had been wanting to step away for a couple of years. I, That's the thing that you've got to worry about if you're a Toriel fan and it's why you you want to demand success and it's why some of these guys that we talked about like look it's really tough to have that mindset of wanting to move on from coaches in the middle of the season or as quickly as we're saying. But you've kind of got to have that mindset. There's got to be a sense of urgency here to get something done.
1: It took him five to six years to build Carolina into a perennial top 15 team year in, year out, first time around. Is Bubba Cunningham going to wait six years?
0: I don't know. Uh, here's my thing. And if you I don't, who are you going to hire that's that you know uh, for sure is going to be that guy? And so I, I think saw people that said Will Healy would be a better coach for the for the Tar Heels right now.
1: I'm not saying to fire him. I don't think that's the right No, move, no, 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 no.
0: No, I know you're not. I'm but, saying there are people that have thought that or that he should be the guy within the next couple of years. I look, I love Will Healy. I love the energy that he brings. I think he is a heck of a head coach. He has done a great job at Charlotte. But at Charlotte. But the thing is is that you're talking about moving on from a Hall of Fame head coach to a guy that is young and up and coming. But at this point when we're sitting here, what is the most success that he's had? He made a Bahama Bowl. Like that's and look, for Charlotte that's great. Maybe that's the top bar that they set. I feel like if you're looking for a guy that you know is going to be an upgrade over Mac Brown and that you feel like is going to take you to a level that Mac Brown can't take you to. That's not right now that's not Will Healy. And no. I don't know how soon that would that, be Will Healy. That coach doesn't exist present day. Who no it does exist they do exist would they they would not take the phone calls urban meyer is not coming to coach carolina bob stoops is not coming to coach carolina so that's the thing is that you just wonder in your mind if mac brown can't do it no one's going who can nobody i I just i mean maybe that person is out there maybe it's somebody that is not even in coaching yet we don't know but it feels like this is your one shot, and it just really hurts right now. That it feels like this this year was your was a chance. My thing is, how many more of these are you gonna get? Are you really thinking that Clemson is going to be as bad as they are this year, next year? No, I don't think so. Maybe I'm wrong. I'd love to be wrong, but it feels like the door opened for you this year, and. You had a chance to take advantage of it, and you didn't. Now I I think the big thing here is, and then we'll we'll give our player the game and we'll get out of here, where do you go from here as a program? How do you recollect yourself? Because to say it's impossible is just being way, way, way too negative. It's possible to recollect yourself. But how do you recollect yourself? And the other part of this is when it comes to the season-long goals – How do you? What do those readjusted goals look like now?
1: Um, The readjusted season goal is should to be win eight games, make a bowl game, because you. Well, I would say win eight games and take uh,
0: care of business against in-state opponents.
1: That's man. probably it, because you're probably not beating Notre Dame. Um, that's a road game in a place you've never won. Um, they're, and they're, and look, they, they got three straight games at home against formidable opponents, but you just played a formidable opponent and got, and got your ass kicked. So you're not guaranteed you're going to go 3-0 on this homestand. Um, I think us as fans, we need to admit the fact this is a lost season. Um, Carolina's... They may back themselves into an ACC title game. They're not most likely going to make a New Year's Six Bowl game. And so I think it's it's kind of back to, 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 to year one. When – your in-state games you've got duke this week you've got wake later this year and you guys, of course got the game against nc state there for thanksgiving and whatever falls into place falls into place and you use this as another building stone to year 4 which is usually the the standard year of where you've got to make the leap or or you know then something's going to happen um from the administration so um I think you know they they got to readjust their goals because if not if they don't readjust the goals this thing can go off the wagon I and mean then you're looking at a disaster right. of a four and eight five and seven type of year and coming back from that that would be almost impossible
0: I, I mean I look I think that Eight, eight wins and beating your in-state opponents are probably the main goals that you want to hit right now. Just don't take a step back as a program this season. Don't take a step back from what you did last year. It, should you hold out hope that you can still make the ACC championship game? Yes, because the ACC is a disaster. That's the reason you should hold out hope. In most normal seasons, you would probably say, well, you lost two games in conference in your first three games. You're probably not gonna come back from that. But at this point, you kinda gotta hold out a little bit of hope just because, I mean, like you said, Virginia Tech struggled with Richmond. That's a team that could easily fall back. You would imagine that Georgia Tech is probably not, I mean, we said it, that's a team that could finish in the basement or close to the basement again this season. I I think that that's something you still have on your board, but I think the main thing right now for Carolina is you've got to just stabilize yourself, take care of the games that you know you should win. And some of these 50-50 games, you've got to be able to improve in some of these 50-50 games on the road. I, I think that's the main thing. You've got to take a step forward on the road because... You're a team that wants to be in the primetime spotlight, that wants teams to circle you on their schedule. Well, they've done that this year, and so far it hasn't really worked out great for you. You need to be able to adjust that mindset of going into those games, I don't know, unprepared, scared, I don't know. That's the most frustrating part. We don't know what these guys are thinking and why this is an issue for these guys. But you cannot be a team that goes on the road in their last seven games and is two and five you can't be a team that in their last seven primetime games on the road is one and six when they're ranked that can't happen you've got to be able to fix some of those things I think the staff knows that and we'll see how they adjust going forward I think the most optimistic fans will probably say win out I think we've seen some of those people that have said that
1: this team isn't winning out um and if you think they're winning out, you're smoking crack, and I need you to stop it. Um, and I think boy, this is a this is a brutally honest edition of the podcast. And, and I think you know if Carolina backs into the ACC title game with a five and three record, that's not a there's nothing to there's nothing to celebrate that. Because you you still lost games you shouldn't have lost, and you're never gonna take the next step if you keep doing this. And so I think it's just something where we've got to accept the fact that, barring a, a miraculous turnaround, this is a lost season. And there's nothing that this there's nothing to for us to believe that they're gonna turn it around. There's nothing that is pointing you that you can go to and say they face adversity at this point and they turned the thing around because it hasn't happened. And so I think I mean it sucks, but I warned you about it all off-season. I hate that it's coming to fruition, but this team has issues. I don't know if it's going to be fixable in season. Um, so win eight games, take care of Duke. Dear
0: God, take care of NC State, and we'll get ready for next year. There you go. And, uh, let, let, you know, we've, we've had some comments that have been coming in. Some of you guys just kind of describing, uh, you know, what your reactions are to the loss. Um, David Swink, a guy who listens to a lot of the editions of the podcast, uh, he says too many times our defense didn't look ready for the snap. Um that was very clear. They they Carolina was off trying to substitute. That was something that was talked about in game by the analysts uh how they were going to try to speed them up because they knew that Carolina couldn't handle the tempo of rotating guys in and out. Um part of that I think that's that's something that I think uh Jay Bateman and his and, and the rest of his defensive staff have to sit down and talk about is we have moments in the game where we try to rotate way too many guys when the other side is not rotating. I understand wanting to get fresh players on to try to give teams the best look defensively. If you can't get a guy off the field, you've got to live with the guys that are on the field, get in position, and they've got to just fight through and play another snap.
1: Also, um, get your team better conditioned. All summer, Mac Brunson didn't run his team after practice. You're using your practice as your conditioning. That's not working. Line this team up, and you make them run gassers because... They're 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 not conditioned. They're not they're not they're not physically tough, and they're sure as hell not mentally tough. Those are things that you've got to fix from a coaching standpoint, and then you can adjust that with your in-game substitution patterns and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then uh, one other comment that was in here, I thought this was probably the best way to describe it. Robert Morgan. Just classifies it as disheartening. <laughs> I, I think that's about the best We're way right there with you. that you can do it because this is the most. This is the the highest expectations that we have had for a Carolina season, maybe ever. Oh, when no we've been doubt. watching Because 2010 You had to adjust that The minute that You saw those suspensions that, that was off the table You knew Okay this team Is not going to live up To those expectations And look You could say That was an excuse You were missing 12 significant players You were missing NFL from, starters From the beginning Of the season Now look Are there games That they should have won Yes they should have won Their home opener Against Georgia Tech They had plenty of opportunities To beat that team And they didn't get The job done that's uh, but this one it really felt like everything was going in your favor this year the media was really feeling you this year you were going to be in a lot of primetime games a spot that you had wanted for so long and to sit where you are right now definitely stings and hurts this this and now, granted, this was the
1: nail in the coffin for the Larry Fedora era. This was Duke in 2016 when they lost on the road in a game that they controlled but didn't win. Um, it was that level of disappointment because that took that team's chances of making the ACC title game out of the, out of the window um, for a back-to-back year. So, I mean, that, that, that's why it's, that's, it's this disheartening.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, we'll, we'll hand out our player of the game for this one before we officially move on. I put Kamari Morales. I mean, he had, a, he had a good game. I mean, seven catches, 66 yards, and a touchdown. I think he showed. We've been asking for a tight end presence that I showed love up. I think that at this point, Garrett Walston still has a role here. He's a he's good blocker. He's a good blocker. He's done some things. He, he's kind of been that safety valve as a guy that kind of leaks out post block when he needs to, to be able to catch some of those short routes. I think the guy that you're looking at as that threat out of the tight end spot that can run some of those intermediate Mm. routes and get things done is Kamari Morales. And I'm encouraged by what what I've seen from him. I think Miles Murphy also had a pretty good game. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. There were positives in this game. There's reasons to still turn the TV on, go to the stadium, and watch this team. The season's not over. And at this point, all you can do is move forward. That's what the pro- that's what the guys inside the program are going to do. That's what the fans have to do. And here's the thing. You're not seeing recruits overreact to this. You're not seeing, you know, the, the staff overreact to this and freak out and make a bunch of changes. You're not seeing guys hit the transfer portal. You're not seeing a guy leave the field in the middle of the game Uh, curse his team out on social media and enter the transfer portal. That's Ohio State. Um, So I I think that you still have to be relatively positive going forward and and just let's see what this team can do. Let's see – The fight back in this team and let's see what Mac Brown and his coaching staff can do to rally a team that uh, a lot of people are still going to have high expectations for going into next year Um, so that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast I'm glad this podcast is over I honestly want to burn this podcast to the ground uh, and never have to do a podcast like this ever again Uh, we had a couple like this a few years ago on the basketball side of things and I'm going to be honest with you there's some of the worst to do there's a lot of passion that comes out in them but to be honest with you, they absolutely suck, and I hate everything about them. I love talking about wins so much more than that. Call me a homer, call me whatever. I wanna, I wanna talk about wins. Carolina's got a chance to get back on track against Duke. Um, this is a game that a lot of people feel like Carolina could come out and do one of two things: either they're gonna let this game, this past weekend, define. What their season will be, and this could be a season that falls apart quickly, or this could be a game where Carolina comes out and absolutely destroys Duke to show that things are still all right, and we'll have to just wait and see. Carolina will play them at 12 o'clock on uh, Saturday in Keenan Stadium. Uh, it will be uh, a, a pretty uh, – you know, we're ho- hoping it will still be a pretty solid environment for the Tar Heels against a big-time rival in the Blue Devils, who have won three in a row after losing their season opening game against Charlotte. Um, they've uh, you know, gotten some momentum uh, for sure on the offensive side of things. is going to have to find a way to stop their talented running back, Mateo Durant, but we'll break that down for you a little bit more on the next edition of the podcast uh, as well as on the website. We'll have your preview for you, Hilton blog.com is where you can check out all that stuff. We've got reaction to the game against Georgia Tech. Go back, read some of our takeaways uh, from that game. Uh, also, Got plenty of stuff uh, that'll be going up uh, in terms of the stock report. Trench report is already up. You guys can read that one uh, and see Josh's breakdown of just the disastrous night for the Heels in the trenches. Uh, and then I'll have the stock report. We'll tell you about some of the guys that are trending down, guys that really need to bounce back here for Carolina over the next couple of weeks, starting with Duke. And then we'll tell you about the guys that are trending up, some guys that did some good things that could potentially uh, carry that over uh, into the game against Duke and try to help this team rally as they go throughout the rest of the season. That will be on the website. Uh, You can also go back, check out. Look, it wasn't all bad for Carolina last week. They did land a four-star running back in George Petaway. Uh, Carolina now with two really talented four-star running backs in the 2022 class uh, that are going to form one of the more hyped tandems in a while in terms of uh, guys that Carolina are going to be bringing in as uh, freshmen. Those are going to be guys that we'll probably be talking about all off season next year. So read that breakdown of his commitment, uh, how he sort of couples well with Amari and Hampton in the backfield, uh, and a little bit in there about Carolina's success in the state of Virginia in the 2022 class. So make sure you check that article out on the website as well. Uh, uh, and then uh, basketball—it's right around the corner, guys. Uh, Less than 50 days, baby. Unbelievable that it's that close already. Uh, Carolina's home opener on the ninth against Loyola Maryland. Ninth uh, of November. I like—I said that as if you would know that. It's a Monday, folks. It's a Monday. Ninth uh, of November. That's when Carolina will tip off against Loyola Maryland. Uh, October fifteenth will be are they officially branding it late night with Hubert or are they branding it something different
1: I think it's something like that like h like h and d or they haven't really formally released what they're calling it' i'm calling it late night with hubert Okay, so they're going to
0: be doing something at the Dean Dome on the 15th of October. (laughs) We're just calling it late night. Come out out and enjoy it. Some guys will play some basketball. There may be a little dancing, something like that. Come out, check it out. It should be exciting. Um, You would imagine imagine, uh, Roy Williams is probably going to be there. Uh, And they're probably going to honor him. So it's definitely something to be excited about. Not to mention Carolina plays uh, Miami the next day at home. They've actually lined that up this year. So uh, definitely something that you could turn into a road trip, everything like that. That's coming up as well. We'll have you covered on that front with everything around that event. Um, (laughs) It doesn't normally mean much, uh, but – Uh, Josh will tell you a little bit about the scrimmage that happens in that game as well and some of the things that I'll take away from that and of course all the preseason storylines he'll have you covered on that Uh, once we sort of get a little bit further into, you know, once we get into camp once we start learning about what some of the rotations could look like what we, you know, start learning about some of the things from the secret scrimmages and how uh, everybody's feeling about this Carolina team he'll have you covered on that front on the basketball side of things and then we'll jump right into it uh, during the season you can also check out all the basketball content on the four corners podcast that's me and Josh uh, we handle that uh, all season even throughout the off season we've been doing a bunch of editions of the podcast keeping you up to date on everything going on with Tariel recruiting keeping you up to date on everything uh, that's been going on uh, with the Tar Tarheels on the court uh, we've had some interesting additions of the podcast here re- lately where we've talked about whether or not Carolina is being underrated uh, we talked about the expectations for Hubert Davis uh, as well Uh, And there's plenty of other editions of the podcast that you guys can go back and check out, uh, including some of the off-season editions of the podcast, uh, where Josh talked to a couple of former Tar Heels that you guys can check out as well. So, uh, all that stuff is on his podcast feed, our podcast feed. Of course, we're still rolling through the season. Make sure that uh, if you are listening, you are subscribed to the podcast so that you don't miss any of the editions. Uh, In terms of the video podcast, Facebook, best place to check them out. That's where we do them all the time. Uh, We'll be doing them throughout the season. Doesn't matter. This team could lose every game the rest of the way and we're going to come on here and tell you about how damn bad this team is. <laughs> but we're right now look, I've moved on from it. We're coming on here each week talking to you about the latest win. That's what we're going to do. So, uh it'll be right here on this Facebook page and that's where all the articles are that I just talked to you about, all the audio editions of the podcast, everything is in one spot for you guys. All you got to do is like that Facebook page and it'll work wonders for you. And then in terms of the other social media pages, Twitter, at Blog on Twitter. It's relatively simple. For us, at Anthony for me, at HTB Josh for Josh. And the guy that you heard on the last edition of the podcast when we broke down George Petaway's commitment, really good edition if you want to go back and listen to that one, where we also update some of the other key targets for the Tar Heels in the 2022 class, including Zach Rice, And Andre Green Jr., so make sure you go check that out, is Zach Hubbard at HackZubbard2 on Twitter. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank you guys for suffering through this edition of the podcast, whether you've been watching or listening. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me, and as always, go Heels!